Welcome to Going Back, a rewatch podcast about the television show Lost, with your hosts, Adam Todd Brown and Olivia Hydar. Hey, everybody, welcome to Going Back, a Lost Rewatch podcast. I'm Adam Todd Brown. And I'm Olivia Hydar. And that makes us your hosts. Olivia. How's it going? It's not bad. It's not bad. I realize that I haven't looked into my backyard in a few days. Oh, <laughs> okay. At least it had one of my trees just kind of like split in half during a storm recently. It was my big discovery today. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like a thing you would realize right away. But I guess if it was an especially loud storm. That's yeah, that's the thing. It was a really big one for recent times. Stuff falling all over the place. Yeah, well, and it did fuck up my internet. I think that might have been what fucked up my internet oh. for the time. Because, man, I've got this fucking crazy line. I don't even know what line it is in my backyard. It's elevated, but it's so low. I'm not very tall, and it's, like, right above my head. Oh, Like, shit. I have to duck in order to feel safe walking around back there. <laughs> Yeah, that's weird. It's very poorly engineered. <laughs> so I think maybe that is the internet, but I'm not sure. And mm. it, I think it fucked with it. So yeah, we tried to record these a few yes. times. We yeah actually tried to record it. I think I saved all that. Maybe I'll put it in the outtakes at some point. Sure. I mean, like I doubt it's super listenable. It's mostly us getting annoyed about technical shit. <laughs> And then we were going to record this Friday, and I just didn't get enough sleep to yeah. want to record two episodes. And now tired. here we are. We're finally yeah. doing it, talking about this is the third episode of the podcast, mm -hmm. which means we're talking about episode five and six right, of right. Lost. I'm not going to keep explaining that math. You're just going to have to work out that that is right. our pattern for right now. Once you Down figure it out, we'll switch it up. Exactly. Keep exactly. you on your toes, just like Lost, you know? Right. We'll start doing flash forwards where we <laughs> talk about episodes like, several seasons down the line. That's actually, <laughs> that actually be funny. Very <laughs> funny, yeah. <laughs> just do like uh, spoilers for stuff in this episode that matters later. Right, yeah. I mean, look, there's definitely stuff that happens in these two episodes that matter later. Like, oh, for sure. Walkabout was like, that was the big proving ground. For the show where the pilot was super huge and successful. There was a bit of a dip in Tabula Rasa. And then there was Walkabout, which kind of defined the course for the rest of the season. And so now we're kind of in full swing. Like these episodes that we're talking about today, White Rabbit and House of the Rising Sun, are both making some real headway in eventual path of the show. Right. And this is the point in the series where ABC decided to renew the series. Right. Or actually add more episodes. It had only been a 13-episode order. Right. And it was after either White Rabbit or House of the Rising Sun where they decided to extend it to a full season because it, it was the good old days when a full season of network television was 20-some episodes, 
which it's still that way. It's just we never watch yeah. network television. But like <laughs> right. Abbott Elementary just got renewed, and I think that's going to be twenty some episodes next season. Oh, that's season, cool. I could not be fucking happier about that. That show is yeah, so I, so great. I didn't know that that was getting a full traditional episode order. That's yeah. cool because usually, right now, most of the shows that this applies to are like the six NCIS. Yes. Series and that sort of thing that dominate the airwaves currently. Right. The 911 franchise. Oh, the 911 franchise, all four FBIs. <laughs> Which there's a guest on the network pretty frequently. Jack Kelly, who runs a podcast called Jack Loves TV, swears okay. by the 911 franchise. Sure. Says it is My one of the best them. shows on television. Yeah. I'm a big Jennifer Love Hewitt fan, so I would check it out for sure. That's cool. Like, all of those shows, these procedurals, that's like where all of these actors are hiding, where I'm like, where's uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt yeah. been over the last 10 years? Oh, she's been doing six 911 shows. There's also, like, the Chicago universe. So much. Chicago PD, Fire, oh. and Med, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Thursdays on NBC are Chicago night. And that's like Dick Wolf. And then how is there not just like a Chicago violence (laughs) series also? Chicago unfiltered, (laughs) uncensored Chicago guns. Um, Of course, there's Law and Order. And then the FBI series that's on CBS is also Dick Wolf. Dick Wolf is just dominating. Yeah. He's always dominated, but this is truly his time in the broadcast tv spotlight yeah the kings who wrote the good wife and the good fight and they currently write a show called evil have you ever watched evil i have watched the first couple episodes of evil and i really liked it it's like catholic x-files it's very fun yeah they write that also they in my opinion have the last really great 24 episode series which was the good wife sure that's one that i still need to watch it's on my list the good wife is such a good time you you don't expect it it seems like a show your grandma would watch but no (laughs) it's really fun they were really on the cutting edge of news stories very critical yeah of whatever administration was in office well and then the good fight the good fight is especially good that's one that aren't all the episodes in that one titled like the gang Blah, blah, blah. There was one season where they did that. Yeah. I just happened to notice that in like an episode list or something. I'm like, I like that. That's fun. Yeah. They also (laughs) one season did these little musical interludes where if they got to a really complicated topic, they would just have a guy come out and play this really fun song with animation like Schoolhouse Rock type shit. They would just drop that in the middle Uh, of a procedural episode. Very good. It's a good show. I, I gotta watch it. I'm on a run of hour-long live-action stuff. I mostly in my life watch anime, but like every once in a while I go through a thing where I'm like, I should watch something that has like human beings in it. Watch, watch <laughs> so, the good fight. Watch the good fight. It's so good. I might. I might. I mean, I would start with the good wife first. The cast is like, great. Yeah, the good fight is like the good wife, but with curse words and black people. Right. Yeah, isn't Keith David... <laughs> in it no no who's in it delroy lindo oh delroy lindo's in it which i would argue lindo that's as good if not better than keith Uh, i mean they're on the same level yeah yeah i'm never Uh, i'm never sad to see either of them show up in something i'm watching oh man 
Keith David is so good in Nope. Yeah, also. he is. He's, He's great. so good in that movie. That movie fucking rules. So we, we talked about it a little bit in our in our aborted episode. Yeah. But, but I just love it. So we should talk about Lost. Sure, let's do it. Why not? White that's Rabbit. White Rabbit and House of the Rising Sun are the two episodes we're covering right. today. A Jack flashback episode and a Sun flashback episode, respectively. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> I wonder which one has sun in it. Yeah, I don't know. The White Rabbit, it's really the first Jack back. It's really the first Jack flashback. Because, like, the pilot doesn't really count because that's mostly a plane. It's a Jack flashback, but, like, it's really a plane. It's it's a flashback to him on the plane. Right, which is really, like, its own thing. Yeah, by those standards, there have been two Charlie flashbacks by the time we're done with the next couple episodes. Because there's one on the plane. Yeah. But yeah. like this is the introduction of Christian Shepherd, which is a major recurring part throughout Jack's flashbacks and also weirdly on the island in yes. you know spoilers for later seasons. So, you know, this is like we're really digging into Jack's mindset. Yeah, this was the part for me where the series went from being Oh, this is weird and mysterious, too. Oh, this is very weird. Yeah. Like, what is happening now? Right, because this follows on his vision of his father that he had on the beach at the end of the last episode. Right. And by the end, there's a question as to whether that was a vision or if just dad is just there somewhere. Right. Very strange. I mean, this is where we're getting more into, I mean, Walkabout is kind of opening the door, but it's getting a lot more metaphysical than just a weird island that is maybe sci-fi. Yeah. There's also a spiritual element, which is why it's fun to put Jack in the lead of a story like this, because he is such an anti, I mean, he's the man of science, as as becomes his epithet (laughs) later on. So, yeah, it opens with a very brief scene of him getting bullied on a playground, but then he's woken up by Charlie screaming for help. And the thing that's happening is there's a woman named Joanna who is drowning. Right. And Jack is summoned to go out and try to help her after Boone has seemingly failed to help her. Yeah. And before we get into the specifics of the scene... My question is, why did only Jack and Boone try to save this woman? Yeah. Because when they cut to the beach, there are dozens of seemingly able-bodied people who could have given it a shot. Right. This is the whole kind of citizens of Springfield element (laughs) of the passengers on Flight 815, because no one in the background can, like, physically (laughs) help they have to stay grouped together or they will like die i feel like even saeed was there was saeed there i was wondering because he's obviously strong but i mean we don't know if he (laughs) he was in the military in fucking iraq so we don't know how much of a swimmer he is you know (laughs) yeah i suppose not a lot of sea-based conflict in right well and also as we see Boone tries to swim out because he's like, this is a whole Boone thing in this episode. He is such an annoying piece yeah, of shit. Yeah, Boone I, drives me nuts, man. Spoiler alert. Oof. I'm so glad he dies first. Yeah. Because especially re-watching it, he is such a nothing. He's, he's the worst. just here to be fucking annoying. Even 
upon rewatching it the first time they show him, I was like, oh, this guy dies like immediately, right? Like yes. first episode, yeah. I think. And no. then when he carried on past the first episode, I was like, oh. Right. Look, we're going to have a whole episode to dig into his weird relationship <laughs> with Shannon, which is super weird. A little bit. And the precursor to a whole genre of step-sibling pornography. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so we'll get into all that, but... In this episode, he's so pissed at Jack for saving him as his ass is drowning. Right. Like, come on, man. And it's like Jack probably hates that he saved you instead of Joanna also. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He's like, God damn it. Oh, there's still like 10 episodes left before you die. Fuck. But in Jack's defense, it seems like he didn't see that Joanna was drowning. He just thought Boone's sorry ass was the one drowning. Yep. I actually think he saw Joanna, but didn't see that Boone had also gone. I feel like he only saw one. Like, Boone was out there. Yeah. I couldn't tell, actually, whether he saw Boone or Joanna. Yeah. I know it's possible that there are people listening to this podcast who are not watching the show along with it. And you might be questioning, well, who is Joanna? Well, she's the woman who drowns in the beginning of this episode. That's who (laughs) Joanna is. That's like her whole existence as a human being. We don't have any idea what that woman's face looks like. Yeah. She popped into the world. Started drowning. <laughs> Joanna <laughs> is then, a set of flopping arms in the middle of an unnamed ocean. Exactly. And that whole scene, it's just there to like break Jack's spirit, and, make him unable to save someone, and then make Boone be a huge asshole about it. And it's representative of Jack's predicament because right. Jack being a leader is a central plot point in this episode and in this show and the predicament he's in on this island is that he doesn't really want to be a leader but because he's a doctor and he seems pretty well put together he wasn't hurt that bad when the plane crashed right people are just kind of gravitating to him as a leader and that includes him being woken up from deep rem sleep to go save joanna in the middle (laughs) of the ocean because boone fucked it up and he is the kind of person who can just make decisions. And when you're in a crisis situation like that, anyone who can still make a decision is so vital. Yeah. You know, like it's very understandable that he becomes the leader. Yeah. There's a weird throwaway moment in this episode where Claire is talking to Kate and she's like, mm-hmm. I've gone through every bag and I can't find a single hairbrush. I've gone through like 20 different. Yeah. Bags. And that's one of those things where it's like, that's going to be something. That's going to mean something later on. And it's like, no, I don't think that ever comes to mean anything. But it is weird that no one has a hairbrush. Yes. Well, that's interesting because that's kind of a peek into the fan mindset that kind of led to people souring on the show. Yeah. Because the show is very much obviously layering in these things that have a mystery about them, but it also likes to just throw in things that are purely symbolic and just are a thematic thing that works for that character in that time without really any worry. And like, sometimes those things they'll like reach back and be like, Oh, we can use this, this 
thing that was just kind of throwaway at the time. And that's kind of what the hairbrush thing seems like. It's kind of just like this weird throwaway thing where it's just like, oh, isn't this a weird yeah. moment? Like, ugh, of all the things, like this one little vanity item is the thing that I need that I can't find. And it does add a little to the mystery of the island because the fact that no one can find any hairbrushes is sort of offset by everyone still looking pretty beautiful on this (laughs) island. Well, that's that's a classic lost thing. And it's actually addressed in an episode that we're going to be talking about later. The Hurley thing gets addressed a lot. Oh, yeah. It, It became such a major thing that There's like a whole subplot about how Hurley is still fat in like the second (laughs) season, basically. And the whole stigma about that. It's very interesting. Yeah. So Jack's flashback. Right. We meet his dad, Christian Shepard. Yeah. Who is a real piece of work. God, he really is. And we're really only cracking the tip of the iceberg in this episode with how big of a fucking lunatic Christian Shepard is. Yeah, he delivers a monologue to a young Jack who has come home beaten by a bully. Right. His like 10 year old son who had just gotten his ass kicked trying to save a kid. Right. And now he's all bummed out about it. And dad, before I get into the actual quote, the first part, he basically tells this kid, look, you know why I'm good at being a surgeon? Cause if someone dies when I'm at work, I fucking come home and have a beer and watch sports, and I don't give a fuck. I know if I fail, like, it's just part of the job. I can brush it off. And that sounds pretty callous, but yeah, you have to do that. That is the thing with being a surgeon, is you have to have that. And then that's when he delivers this quote to Jack. You don't want to be a hero. You don't want to try to save anyone, because when you fail, you just don't have what it takes. God. Yeah, that's a mean thing to say to a kid who's, like, maybe 10 at best. At most. He's so little. (laughs) Yeah. They cut away from this to a scene where Boone is very mad at Jack for saving him instead of Joanna. And here's the thing. I'm on Boone's side. Jack should let him die. Yeah. We've been very clear on our stance on (laughs) R.E. Boone living. Jack should have kept swimming to Joanna, but just holding Boone under the water the whole time. (laughs) Fucking using him as leverage to yeah, get to her. As a raft. <laughs> that would have been ideal. So oh, that would have been so funny. So I agree with Boone in that so way. That would be some really incisive decision making, like really seeing what needs to be done. But like I know it's just a TV show, but I know people deal with trauma in different ways. But the audacity to get mad at someone for saving your life. Yeah, yeah. And I could see if it's like, that was my kid drowning out there, and I'm like right. 80, and you saved right. me, and you let my kid drown. But that's not this. No. This is Boone this- being mad that he got saved over a total fucking stranger who's no one's even seen her face. Yeah, and I think he's Like, they also- had to do investigative journalism to figure out who this woman even was. <laughs> and it turned out she wasn't even supposed to be on the plane. Yeah, that seems really funny, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I understand Boone... I feel like he's partially also pissed at himself for trying because he fucked up, you know? I think that's part of it. But Ian Summerhalder, he's a very pretty man. He's got these beautiful blue eyes. But he, I don't think, has the 
nuance of an actor to convey that pathos very well. And so he just comes off like a spoiled fucking brat. Yeah, he's not good. That's my main problem. He's just not good. No, he's not good enough. Not good enough for a character who needs a little bit of complexity in the performance. And Jack's dad keeps showing up and Jack keeps chasing him deeper into the jungle. Hence the name of the episode, White Rabbit. It's a reference to Lewis Carroll and The Looking Glass. Oh, I'm sorry, what? Wonderland. Yeah, you ever heard of it? Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Very new stuff. Very new stuff. We find out (laughs) Jack was on that plane because he was supposed to be retrieving his alcoholic dad from Australia. This is a neat little mystery moment where Jack isn't wanting to do it. And he says he can't. And his mom says, after what you did. Right. And it's like, oh, what did he do? Yeah. This is classic lost mystery building. Yeah. That's just such a classic lost line. After what you did. Yeah, I mean, sure, he deserved it. You know, spoiler alert. (laughs) But he fucking deserved it. He was a fucking alcoholic. He was a piece of shit. He was. And Jack gets to, well, in between, Locke heads out into the jungle to look for water. Because water resources are also the big plot point here. Right. Because they don't have that much and one of the biggest reasons the ocean fucking sucks is we can't drink it it's just like right there huge problem huge problem and we can't drink none of it so despite living next to the largest possible body of water water is a problem yeah this is how you know the devs were fucking up when they programmed earth because Mm -hmm. they really that was just a huge oversight they need to patch that and fix that or there should at least be like a water bottle filter by now that you Is just there... pour it and it desalinates everything. I mean, that's tough to desalinate water in a water bottle. <laughs> I know you can you can desalinate water. People well, do it yeah. on boats and shit all the time. Yeah. But in a water bottle, like it's a pretty intensive process. It's not like filtering out dirt. I mean, we got flying cars. We need our desalinating right, water bottles exactly. next. We have flying cars. Well, we need the desalinated water so we can power the flying cars. Right, right. They're all powered on water anyway. So, <laughs> so yeah, Locke goes looking for water. Claire needs water because she's all pregnant and shit. Charlie yeah. can't find the stockpile of water. That's one of the big plot points here, too. Right. They have some bottled water, and then it just goes missing. So back to Jack, though. Right. He gets to Australia to find his dad, and his dad hasn't been at his hotel room for three days, and he left his wallet. Mm. And Jack takes it out on hotel staff. At one point, this guy who's just trying to help is like, look, man, I don't think your dad rented a car last night. (laughs) He was a little too drunk for that. And Jack- Looks him in the eye and goes, he's the chief of surgery. Uh-huh. And well, so the fuck what yeah. about that? He could still be too drunk to rent a car. Don't sass this guy for trying to yeah. give you the information you need. That doesn't preclude him being too drunk. Yeah. To drive at all. And like, Glad you know that. crashed. You know that him being the chief of surgery doesn't preclude him from being too drunk because you fucking got him fired, bitch. <laughs> What did you think of the scene where Jack almost falls over the cliff? I thought it was dumb. There was no way Jack was going to die. Like, it's funny. Yeah. There's definitely no way Jack's going to die. I mean, that's a silly cliffhanger. 
I get that the island gave Locke his ability to walk back, but did it right. also give him the upper body strength of a silverback gorilla? Because he just mm-hmm. hoists Jack up by his <laughs> arms. Jack's like a meaty guy, too. Yeah, <laughs> like he's, yeah, got, he's got some muscle vests. It's not Dominic Monaghan. Right, exactly. Yeah, no, you can lift him. I could lift him up with one hand. Here's the thing about Locke. I think maybe the idea is that, and I don't think that this is set up in the show whatsoever. This is just my own improvised headcanon. You know, he's been paralyzed from the waist down for several years at this point. Maybe he's just gotten, like, we know he can throw fucking knives. We know he thought he could handle himself on a walkabout. So maybe he's actually, and like, look, we're starting to get it a little bit, but especially in the last season, he's got a nice tight t-shirt on. He's fucking ripped. <laughs> like, yeah. He's hot. This is like the hottest Terry O'Quinn has ever been on television is in this series. Yeah, he's on that Survivor diet. Yes. People would go on Survivor and like six weeks in, you're like, damn. Yeah. Look at that Midwest soccer mom. Who knew? As someone who has been homeless, like (laughs) on the street homeless for a while in the past, that is the best I've ever looked. (laughs) Walking around all day in the fucking L.A. sun will fucking do it for you, man. Yeah, I was sick for three solid months, and I lost like 35 pounds. And it was like, yeah. oh, this part's all right. Yeah, yeah. But then I went and fucked it all up by quitting nicotine. Oh, uh, yeah. That's fine. At least I'm not yeah. using nicotine anymore. That's the thing. So there's a little cutaway before we get back to Jack and Locke having a very important discussion where Charlie's having a combo and you can't help but notice his tattoo. Yeah. It says... Living is easy with eyes closed. And that is a Beatles reference. It's a line from Strawberry Fields Forever. And it is an appropriate tattoo for Charlie's character, who is in the midst of a gnarly heroin addiction. But it's also just a tattoo Dominic Monaghan happened to have before he even started filming the show. And it's the same with Jack's big five tattoo yeah which then gets its own flashback episode in the third season is the that a, worst episode of the series is that a party of five reference oh <laughs> it must be it must be i love I that jack's on party of five party of five tattoo is a character on lost god yeah but here's the thing Jack's tattoo got a flashback, and they course corrected after that. Like, there aren't any more episodes <laughs> that useless in the series. But I kind of like to have a Charlie's tattoo episode, too. Yeah, why not? <laughs> why not? But then it's just really straightforward, and he just hears Strawberry Fields and is like, oh, okay. Oh, he's like strung out on heroin. Yeah. And he's like, okay, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we're and like, that's, that's it? We knew yeah. it was a Beatles reference. Look, again, not to talk about an episode that we're going to talk about eventually, but that's basically what the fucking Jack's tattoo episode <laughs> amounts to. It's like, oh, yeah, you had like a bad girlfriend once. It was really annoying. <laughs> so Jack and Locke have a very important discussion yes it kind of sets up their dynamic where jack is the science guy and Locke is the spiritual religious guy that's how they phrase it in the series the science guy and the faith guy right right and that's a real battle yeah absolutely 
There's an episode of the Conspiracy Podcast that me and Olivia yep. also host called Satan is a Metaphor for Science. And sure. it's based on a Cracked article that I wrote about the same thing, which if you really dig into a lot of the descriptions of Satan, yeah, it does boil down to, well, like bringer of light, meaning information. Yeah. And yeah. Satan tells you how the world works, but you're not supposed to know. Yeah. And it, it does kind of boil down to a faith versus science yeah, argument. So what I'm saying is Jack is Satan. Right. Of course, Jack is Satan <laughs> and Locke is God. That's God, definitely right. that's the conflict that plays out. In the Sorry show. to spoil uh, the whole series. For yeah, me. no, yeah, that's the answer. <laughs> that's what it ends up being. That's interesting, though, because that's also similar to the Prometheus myth as well. Yeah. The bringer of light, bringer of fire, that sort of thing. Yeah. This is where we get a really famous quote from Locke. I've looked into the eye of this island and what I saw was beautiful. Yeah, it was Titus Welliver. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we still don't really know what he saw. The idea is, I think, that he sees the smoke monster, or at least a apparition of the smoke monster. Did you know there was a smoke monster action figure? No! It just looks like a fucking lump of plastic, because what else could it be? And it had, like, a backing card, so it looked official. I don't know. You know, I was very into Lost as it was airing, and very hyped on all of the Lost merchandise. So I don't know how I could have possibly missed that, but man. We're going to talk about some lost merch at the end of yeah. the next episode. Absolutely. It comes up. But there's a really interesting detail in this episode. Very easy to miss. I didn't catch it myself. I've been digging into some episode guides and things yeah. that people wrote back when this show was out. And one of them is called... Totally. Finding Lost, and it is written by a writer named Nikki Stafford, and she brings up some pretty interesting points that we'll touch on as they come up throughout these episodes. And one of them here, the actor who plays the doctor in the morgue is also in the pilot episode as one of the people who was on the plane. It's not clear if that was just an oversight that they thought no one would notice or if it was going right. to be a plot point later on, but uh, I don't think they ever really revisited no. again. It's kind of lost. Kind of lost, lost, yeah. Plot point. Yeah. Have we talked about this? The pilot on the actual plane, the guy who gets fucking mm -hmm. exploded by the smoke monster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Greg Grunberg. Yeah, he's worked with J.J. Abrams a whole bunch. Oh, yeah. We talked about it a little bit. He's a mainstay J.J. Abrams guy. And the only reason he's not featured in this more is J.J. Abrams was developing a series for him at the same time, too. And that one just never got picked up. I didn't know that. That's bold of yeah. J.J. <laughs> to think that he could build a Greg Grunberg vehicle. <laughs> That's a step too far, buddy. I'm sorry. You can do a lot of shit, but... I don't think anybody's buying that. Cross like, yeah, the no, line. Greg Grunberg, he's like in every J.J. movie. He was in The Force Awakens as like an X-Wing pilot. He's got a great name. It's not quite as great as Porkins from <laughs> the original Star Wars movie, which is the fat guy named Porkins, which is one of my favorite Star Wars characters. But yeah, he played Snap Wexley. Nice. Snap Wexley. <laughs> that is a solid name. Grunberg. He's funny. No way no one's buying a fucking vehicle for him, though. <laughs> 
Yeah, kind of the big cliffhanger here, if you can call it that. Jack, we find out that he was trying to get his father flown back on right. this flight. Because he was dead. That's like the big twist. Yeah, it turns out his father was dead. Yeah. So Jack is trying to fly him back for the funeral. Mm-hmm. And he's having issues getting his dad on the plane. Yeah. But then Jack goes looking around the island and finds his casket. Right. And opens it and it's empty. The casket's empty. At which point Jack destroys this thing. <laughs> I don't know what kind of Potter's Field casket they got for the chief of surgery, but Jack yeah. just fucking manhandles that thing. It disintegrates. Well, and look, and this is as good of a time as any to talk about the Jack face, which is just, <laughs> this is a thing I've talked about a little bit, but it's a running joke while Lost was on the air. that You could freeze frame any scene that Matthew Fox was on the TV. And his face is doing something weird. (laughs) And like it works in motion. He's a very compelling actor. I like him a lot in in the series, especially. And like he was in Speed Racer. He's great in Speed Racer. But really, like it's something about his face is just very active. And it feels like whenever you pause it, he just has some like, you know, I've got a background on the Zoom (laughs) right now. And those are some faces. You could just Google Jack face one word and it's great. (laughs) So you get some quality Jack face while he's destroying the coffin. And then, yeah, it turns out that again, this is where Boone is such a fucking annoying piece of shit. He hoarded all of the water in order to keep it safe or something. You fucking asshole. And I think he was just trying to look like a hero a little bit. Yeah. If he's got this whole posture thing where he's like, well, you weren't doing it. And so I took charge. It's like, no one wants you to take charge, Boone. Yeah. You're not a leader. Fuck you, Boone. Hate him. And yeah, everyone's arguing they're going to tear Boone limb to limb. Yeah. Again, it's very citizens of Springfield. <laughs> yeah. And Jack jumps in and he gives his famous speech yes. that ends with, if we don't live together, we're going to Die alone. Yep. Which is essentially the speech Saeed gave them an episode or two ago. And people were like, we'll wait for the white man to say it. Thank you very much. He's going to word it a little catchier. (laughs) Thank you very much. And like, look, this is an extremely iconic, like this whole episode, like this episode has the eye of the island and it has live together, die alone, which is such a mantra for the entire series. That it is basically repeated in the last episode, if I remember correctly. It's just wild to think that it happens like four episodes, five episodes in or whatever. So then everyone chills out. They divvy up some of the water. Yep. Things are good for a bit. Yeah. We get a little music. Yeah, lost. We get a little music. This is one of those classic Giacchino, like, as people are like passing out it's not a song it's not like a walkman song oh i skipped a very important detail from this episode (laughs) this is the episode where jack finds a fresh water source right of course he finds that's the thing that's the denouement that's where the casket is right near the cave and he finds a cave that he thinks will be a suitable place to live he also finds a shit ton of china dolls just strewn about that look like yeah yeah on the plane for some reason. And then it's in the next episode that they find the skeletons. Yes. Right? Yes. 
Yeah, on this episode is where Jack tells everyone he found the cave and right. fresh water Just source. The water, which is, again, setting up a major conflict for the rest of the season. Yes. And then, next episode, House of the Rising Sun. Sun is in Sun? Yes. Sun is in the character named Sun. Correct. Sun Hua Quan, if I'm not mistaken. One interesting detail about that Finding Lost book I mentioned. Mm -hmm. After each episode, if there are moments where Sun and Jin talked and there was no translation, they put the translation at the end of the chapter. Oh, nice. Very handy. It's all stuff you would expect. Like when he walked right. up to Hurley with the fish, he was like, hey, this is fish. You should eat it, man. It right, exactly. Me. Like, what else do you think he was saying? Yeah. Come and on, that's, fat ass. Is that in this episode or the last episode? The thing uh, with the fish? That's the a fish. I think that might even be the pilot. Yeah. I mean, it, it happens a couple times. Yeah. But it's a very 2004 scene where Jin has prepared basically sashimi. And yeah. Hurley's like, ew, gross, man. You want me to eat raw fish? <laughs> <laughs> it's like that is served in restaurants the world over. You right. are stranded on an island, pal. It's, it's Maybe to, try it. It reminds me of, there's a really funny, you know, funny in the meta sense joke in the War of the Worlds with Tom Cruise, where he tells Dakota Fanning to order food and she orders hummus. And he's like, Oh, what is this? And, he, and she said, you said to order night. And he said, I meant order food. <laughs> Again, just a very yeah. like mid 2000s take on food culture. So, yeah, this is a, a Sun and Jin flashback episode. Yep. We are immediately treated to a flashback of before they were even married. Right. And it turns out there's a different dynamic than you would expect from how they're portrayed on the island. In that yeah, because Sun's been such an asshole. Yeah. He seems like the real dominant presence in right. the marriage. But it turns out she's the one who had all the money and the right. rich, powerful dad. And this dude was just a waiter. Right. And they never really explain how they met. We just yeah, not in this episode. Jin has a flashback episode later in the season. Yeah. And I think that first flashback goes more into detail about how they met. Yeah. But they know each other at the beginning of this while he's a waiter. And they have chemistry. They're very tender with each other in a way that we haven't seen these people be on the island. And they're wanting to get married. And she right. thinks they're going to have to elope. Jin right. doesn't want to. So that's kind of the plot point of the flashback. Right. But back to the island, we open on Jin just fucking slide tackling Michael across <laughs> the beach yeah. for reasons that are not yet explained. I thought maybe it was because he found out Michael saw Sun without her shirt on. Yeah, I mean, like, that's obviously a simmering tension, especially in this early part of the first season. But, like, it's very brutal. Jin is a huge asshole. It's kind of a problem because he becomes such a sweet guy. Yeah. Like, later on. But in this early part, they are really making him a huge asshole. Yeah, I make it sound kind of comical when I say he slide tackles Michael across the beach. Right. What he actually does is tackles him and 
is simultaneously just brutally punching him in the face while also trying to drown him. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. He hits him in the surf. Yeah. And so it's fucked up. Like, it makes sense that they would lock him up for a second to be like, look, you gotta chill out. This is not appropriate. Yeah, they handcuff him to the side of the plane because he's acting like one of them trained to Busan fellas. Oh my god. Chill out. Uh, I mean, look, I love Daniel Day Kim. <laughs> so Jack leads Kate, Locke, and Charlie to the cave and the water source he found. Yes. Where would you rather live, the beach or the cave? Cave, obviously the cave. Really? First of all, yes. The beach is nice, but, you know, you've spent time on the damn beach. It sucks yeah. to be on the beach, on the sand. But you can, like, I, you could build yourself a shelter right sure, there. Sure, and, and they do. And I understand the cave conflict, as it's set up in this episode, is it's seen as giving up on the idea of rescue to move inland, which I understand. Right. But at the same time, I am personally such a massive pessimist that that wouldn't be my instinct probably when I crash on an island. There's a bunch of people who want to stay so they can stay. I'll go to the caves where it seems like really nice. They seem There's a little water. scary. Yeah, it's water. There's also dead bodies and caskets and China yeah, dolls. Get and... the dead bodies out of there. Like, you can move that. First of all, it's a set, which I love. It's not a location like the beach. And it's a set which makes it feel more homey, weirdly. Like, it, yeah. it feels like it's indoors, which... I find appealing. I like to be indoors. <laughs> I do prefer the great indoors for sure. But also there's that scene where Charlie, uh-oh, is standing on a beehive. And that's right. that's just my not I'd rather find myself standing on a landmine. Personally. Oh yeah, absolutely. You could defuse a landmine. Yeah. You're not defusing <laughs> these bees. We find out that for damn sure. Yeah, and he's, like, afraid of bees also. Who's not in that application? It's one thing. If you're just walking and there's a bee, it's like, thank you for your service. But <laughs> right. In this situation. Yeah, I would say it's kind of on these bees for building their hive in the ground, though. Yeah, that's but also they were, them. they were probably like, what the fuck are people doing here? Yeah, that's true. There hasn't been people here since those fucking skeletons. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we killed them. Yeah, and we fucking got them. It's very weird. And that's a good Charlie scene that because that's also Locke is like kind of trying to talk him through that. And it's the beginning of the Charlie Locke relationship, which I enjoy. Yeah. I like back on the island when they're trying to figure out why Jin attacked Michael. Yes. And Michael's just like, man, Koreans just don't like black people. How right. funny would it be if it was that? Like, I mean, like, turns out that is the whole storyline. Jen's just a yeah. huge racist. I mean, like, it seems like it might be the case <laughs> because there's no other logical explanation. You know, he's not able to communicate. And so, but I do really like that, though. They don't really do much with that sort of racial tension. Yeah. Like, it's not really explored much beyond this scene. But I think that's an interesting tension to apply in this episode it is but i think it's more of a racial tension that exists within that area like within those neighborhoods oh yeah no it's absolutely think, an la thing uh, yeah i don't think people come from korea no, inherently no. 
wanting to follow black people through their convenience stores. Like, it's like, like I said, I don't think it's executed the most, like Michael is obviously reaching. Yeah. Here. Yeah. That's what I had in the notes. It's probably not that. It's a real reach. So there's that, but I like that they at least bring it up, you know, cause he's going to, L- he lives in LA. Like it how would crazy would it be if the flashback was just Michael throwing a brick through Jin's store window oh. in South Central? Like, oh yeah. God, that would be fucking wild. That would be a <laughs> it wild. Sure would. A Rodney King flashback on this show would be fucking crazy. The problem is, and look, and this is a problem with Lost that we'll talk about more. There's two black characters on the show, basically, period. Yep. I, I think there's maybe one other black person that comes on the show in the entire six episode run who's on the island. Michael's ex-wife is black but that's a flashback character well michael rose oh rose yes well rose has not been on the rose has really not been in this series since like the second episode yeah she's not a huge she's very character in these past few episodes uh so i had forgotten about so three so three black characters really yeah so you know that's kind of a an issue that the show has but it is 2004 yes unfortunately on network tv So back to the Jin and Son flashback, he manages to get her dad's approval to get married, but with the stipulation that he has to work for her father for a few years. And she seems super duper troubled by this. Yeah. But also that ring, though. It's a nice ring. Is it nice? It's pretty big. I'm so bad at knowing. I can tell when a ring sucks. Like when it's either too (laughs) tiny or too garish and large. But if it's like just in that middle zone, I can't tell if it's great or not. (laughs) I mean, I'm not a jeweler. I just no, you aren't. Wait, wait, wait. Hold (laughs) on. She seems to dig it, and I'm happy for her. No, she digs it. (laughs) But that is setting up like Mr. Park is a major antagonist kind of in the off island stories like even outside of you know spoiler alert outside of the sun and jin flashbacks he he has a impact and it makes sense that she would be freaked out because he's kind of a huge monster yeah and we see what happens to him when he starts working for him yeah he's very problematic yes this is also the point where Kate finds a couple dead bodies in that cave that you want to live in so bad. Like, yes. Yeah. Super, I love it. super dead. Just like mummified. That's the dead. thing. They're very dead. I'm not really worried by the dead bodies when they're that old. Yeah. It'd be another thing if they were just like freshly oozing blood. Right. Like if they One were of bodies. still breathing a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and they're not on the plane. Then they're really yeah. accelerating the, the mystery if that's what happens. Yeah. But no, it's a good mystery, though. This is one of those mysteries that is not solved until the second or third to last episodes of the entire series, which I like. I enjoy that. And one of the other weird features, these two dead bodies, there's a pouch next to them that has two gems, one black, one white in it. This is just such losty thematic stuff where, you know, it's kind of doubling down on the backgammon thing from the pilot yeah yeah Locke refers to these two bodies as our very own adam and eve and it's like you right it's a little dramatic but okay <laughs> look Locke is a dramatic bitch you know <laughs> like come on can we oh and there's a tit joke yeah i was just gonna say can we talk about charlie's fantastic joke after what a weird joke the b incident ends with everyone running because the 
hive breaks open and there's all these bees chasing everyone. And you see Kate take her shirt off. Right. And at one point later, she's still shirtless. And Charlie comes walking back in with her shirt and goes, here, you left this. And she goes, oh, thanks. It was full of bees. And he goes, full of C's, actually. Weird. He gets no response. Yeah, because it's weird. Look, (laughs) if I was Kate, the guy said that to me, I'd be creeped the fuck out. Are you kidding me? What a creepy joke. But it's 2004. It is. That's, I know. So it's not like unrealistic. He probably made that joke offset and they were like, put that in the show. Uh, (laughs) I mean, like, it's funny. It's a funny (laughs) moment. It's a good joke. But I understand Kate's reaction to being like, what the fuck? Go play with Claire, you weirdo. (laughs) (laughs) And this is where Jack starts floating the idea of maybe everyone moving to the cave. And that becomes a conflict in this episode and in the series in general, which is interesting. We've been sometimes referencing another show that's on right now called From, which is on Mm. Epics. Yes. And it's got a lot of lost vibes. It's got absolutely uh, Harold Perrineau is in the lead. Jack Bender is involved in it. Yeah. And that same conflict exists in that show. That's true. Yeah. Where wow, there's that is yeah. a bunch of people who want to live in the town and help figure out a way to get out of there. And then there's right. a whole other group who's like, we're just going to go live it. in this house and fucking settle in. This is fine. I'm, and I'm so a colony house person. I, yeah. You know, not to turn this into a from cast, but I'm like so on board with the bohemian fucking yeah. colony house. Seems like a way better time. That wouldn't be a bad idea for bonus episodes we could cover from. Look, I mean, or at least like maybe something after. I've had a couple of ideas for things that we could cover post-Lost. That would definitely be on the list. Yeah. And then it would have like another season or two. Yeah. From is so good. I really can't wait for the second season. Yeah. That's one of my favorite shows. That and like Star Trek Strange New Worlds. I haven't seen that. Oh, that show owns. It's so great. It's just an old school TV show. Like I'm so starved for that. I'll have to check it out. So flashback, Jen walks in the house covered in blood. (laughs) Yeah. And he won't tell son what happened. He just says. Which is a move, I would say, as a married person. Yeah, I mean, communication is the key to any good relationship, just in general, but you know, especially when true. one of you comes bursting in the house covered in <laughs> blood. Absolutely. And, you know, in communication, that is the major theme of the Jin and Sun storyline through most of the series. Yeah. So in that Finding Lost book, they point out here that in this scene, sometimes the blood stains on Jin's clothes are in different spots. And it's like, have you ever seen any TV show? Like that's such yeah, a common Jesus. Such a co- continuity error is what we Do call it. Do you know that. how goddamn hard it is to make the blood spatters <laughs> on different shirts match? That's fucking difficult. Cigarettes at different lengths during the <laughs> Oh my god, the worst kind of cinema sins bullshit. So, they argue. She slaps him, which, bold move with someone covered in blood. (laughs) That's true. They could just be in shock over what happened. Maybe the slap would help in that case. Or they might murder you too. But he says, I do whatever your father tells me. I do it for us. And that's Uh ominous. They don't say it outright, but it's pretty clear that Son's dad does some unsavory shit. Yeah, it's kind of the first hints at the kind of underground criminal aspect of her dad's organization. Yeah. And 
it makes sense that it would turn Jin into an aggro douchebag. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things that really works about his storyline because it would otherwise be very difficult to turn him into a likable character yeah. after his behavior in these last few episodes. <laughs> yeah. But this is making those first steps where like you see him being sweet with her and then you see the change right. when he starts working for her dad. And yeah, th- him going back to being that kind of sweet, more laid back person speaks to the overall theme of the show, which is clean Absolutely. slate. Like, yeah, you know, get to the island, things just start over. So you can absolutely be that like normal that's, guy again. You know, this is the first season. And so all of these flashbacks are thematically setting our characters up in that way, where we see that they aren't quite how they appear and they have another version of themselves, a better version of themselves that maybe the island can bring out. Yeah. What did you think of Locke's impromptu review of Drive Shaft? <laughs> I love that. I love that he's a fan. Yeah. That makes sense. Like, I get it. It's such a good level of fame for Charlie to be at where, like, people can know his band and they weren't quite a one-hit wonder, but they were basically a one-hit wonder. For and then the they have part. some hardcore fans. Yeah, they had two albums, but right. one hit. Right. So going to the cave or staying on the beach, that's a big debate right. in this episode. But there's a big twist, too, involved in the Sun and Jin plot. Right, line, yeah. Which I loved. I remember watching it live. And yeah. this little twist at the end, I thought was real interesting because we find out in her flashback, she was trying to leave Jin right. before they got on this plane. Right. She had plans to just walk out of the airport and like disappear. Yeah. And in the course of all that, during one of the flashbacks, the woman tells her to keep working on her lessons. Yes. And we find out those lessons, English lessons. Yes, of course. Son speaks English. And I remember that moment the first time I watched this when she like approaches Michael and is like, hey, dude. <laughs> yeah, that's what she says. Yeah, I think I'm paraphrasing, Yo. but I think, yeah, I think it's something like that. And oh, it was such a good twist. Yeah, it's, it's so a fun. really, it's a really good twist. I love that, you know, this isn't revealed here quite yet, but I like that Jen still doesn't speak English. I really like that communication aspect of their characters. And it, and, Adds a whole element to what's happening with Jin, because now we know Sun could very easily just go explain why he's so mad right. to everyone. But then she'd also have to explain to Jin why she right. speaks fluent English. Right. Now. Yeah. Which, and we should mention that both Yoon Kim and Daniel Day Kim, they were both born in Korea. They both speak fluent Korean, but were raised in America and so also speak fluent English. Yeah. Both of the actors. Yoonjin Kim especially was a huge star in yes. Korea before this. Yeah. I read a little bit about her and apparently she did a movie in Korea and was expecting to just come back to the US and that movie blew up to yeah. such a degree that she was like, ah, I guess I'm a Korean actor now. <laughs> and she's great. They're yeah. both so good. I think yeah. they're some of the best actors on the series. Yeah. And, and then like, and there's the final flashback of son thinking about leaving Jin, but then he shows her like a white flower that he got and she decides to stay with him. Yeah. They don't really overplay that moment. I think it's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. She's having a flashback of her own that we don't get to see. Right. Really, yeah. Which is remembering him when he wasn't <laughs> bursting in the house covered in 
blood. Yeah, better times. Which is a corner you don't want your partner to turn, that's for sure. Like, no, no, it's one, tough. That's no, tough. It's a change in a relationship. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, she was supposed to leave him before this trip. She backed out. Now she's stuck on this fucking island. Yeah. The song that plays over the end montage is Are You Sure by Willie Nelson. But oh, it's the so version from an album called Crazy, the Demo Sessions. Yeah. So it's a demo version of this song, but it's <laughs> such an appropriate yeah. closing song because one of the main lines is, are you sure this is where you want to be? And that's the whole conflict between the cave and beach thing is, right. like you said, the people on the beach think, well, we're going to be rescued, so we should hang out here. Right. And the people in the cave are like, no, this is our life now. We right. might as well just settle in. I don't understand why it can't just be both. I think that's the idea that they basically land on. It's not really like spoken, but they do just kind of say like, look, people are going to want to stay on the beach. So there's always going to be someone there. And it should almost be both. If anything, yeah, absolutely. Because the people who want to stay on the beach in the event they might be rescued are right. It's going to yeah. be easier to find them. On the and beach. That's so, like I said, that's basically what they said. Yeah. On. So what you do is you just rotate beach and cave people. It's a well, shame we weren't stranded on this island, you know? Yeah, no, we really could have whipped them into shape. Yeah, we would have figured some shit out right away. <laughs> Lost would have been three seasons. I think the only other thing that we didn't talk about is Michael freeing Jen. Oh, because yeah. Because that's one of Harold Perrineau's best scenes in the series so far. Yeah. Because he gets all in his face. While holding an axe. While holding an axe and like holding the axe up to his face. And screaming <laughs> at him in English, which Jin is just like, oh my God, what the fuck is going on? Jin doesn't understand a damn word. And I think that's really this episode, in addition to being the start of Jin in flashback being humanized, it's kind of a wake up call to him like he kind of needed someone to be a huge aggro asshole yeah to him in order to kind of snap him out of his domineering thing yeah and it seems like it kind of works yeah Jim he chills out a little bit chills out after almost getting his hand cut off by fucking axe <laughs> Or and also, also I was like, where do, don't they just have the keys? Aren't you going to need those handcuffs? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's very dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they got more handcuffs. Yeah, I would probably not break the handcuffs. So that's the end of the House of the Rising Sun episode. And yeah. I think that's the end of this episode. Absolutely. We did it. Do we have any we did. final thoughts? No, not yet. I'm still just very into, so far, what's going on. I'm loving rewatching this show. It's so fun. Me too, yeah. And That's we're, my main takeaway. We're covering some pretty big episodes. I don't know if they're big, but memorable they, episodes. Yeah, they're good. The good ones. Next time Next around, episode. The Moth, which is Charlie's Oasis origin story. Hell yeah, hell episode. yeah, hell yeah. And confidence man which yes. is sawyer's very weird evil villain origin story a lot of strange decisions in sawyer's life yes i mean you know look sawyer he's kind of fucked up but it's a similar mirror to house of the rising sun where it's kind of making sawyer more sympathetic or like setting him on the path to being sympathetic in the same way that this episode kind of writes the ship on the sun and gin dynamic 
Yeah. Because Sawyer's the other character. I mean, Boone is unsalvageable. We can't Yeah, Boone has to die. That could have been the name of this podcast. (laughs) Boone Boone must must die. die, A lost rewatch podcast. (laughs) I mean, like, the thing is, I just forget about him until watching the show. But, like, Sawyer and Jen are the two other characters in this opening part who they're antagonistic, but they're also just annoying yeah more than they are compelling like sawyer is great because josh holloway gets to be a fucking cocky jerk and that's fun yes but confidence man is where he starts to become a person a little more yeah yeah you're gonna see a lot of josh holloway these next two episodes and that's great yeah he's one of my favorites on this show he's so cool so until then i think that's it do we have anything to plug before we get out of here no You should listen to Conspiracy the Show. If you're listening to this when it's out publicly, there's a very good chance that you have not listened to our other podcast, which is Conspiracy the Show, which is, I would argue, the world's most objective and most trusted conspiracy theory podcast. I mean, it's definitely the most objective and trusted one that I've ever been on. Agreed. Yeah. (laughs) Of all the conspiracy theory podcasts I've worked on in my life. Right. Most objective, most trusted most well researched most well hosted just oh the hosts are great oh it's just so good it's just so good so it's a good show listen to that if you're not or we'll send the cia after you oh shit (laughs) and you can follow me on twitter and instagram at adam todd brown that's todd with one d and uh that's all i got you got anything else no let's get the fuck out of here olivia say goodbye bye goodbye everybody we love you